Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers, where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. Our guest today is Sasha Celestial One, the co-founder of Olio, the food-sharing mobile app aiming to tackle the huge problem of food waste. Sasha joined us previously as a future shaper in 2017, so it's great to welcome her back. The daughter of Iowa hippie entrepreneurs, hence the origin of Sasha's brilliant made-up surname Celestial One, Sasha formed Olio in 2015 with her business partner and friend Tessa Clark. The simple and clearly effective idea of Olio is to connect neighbours with each other and volunteers with local businesses so that surplus food can be shared rather than thrown away. This could be food nearing its sell-by date in local stores, spare homegrown vegetables, bread from your baker or the groceries in your fridge when you go away. There's also the opportunity to share non-food household items as well. The app currently has 800,000 plus users who have successfully shared 1.2 million plus portions of food with each other. It's all about small actions and big change. We're going to find out much more about it in a few minutes. Here's Marlena Shaw with Feel Like Making Love. Strolling in the park And watching winter turn to spring This is Jazz Shapers. I'm really pleased you join me. Sasha Celestial One is my business shaper today, co-founder and COO of Olio, and you were hearing about what Olio was, but that was me saying it. I want to hear the co-founder talking about it. Hello. Hello. It's very nice of you to come here and join me on Jazz Shapers. Thank you. My pleasure. Tell me, in your own words, uh, Olio, you've got, you've got 20 seconds to give me the pitch. What is it? Why should I care? Um, Olio connects neighbours to stop good food from going to waste. It's a free mobile app. Anyone who has food they're not going to eat just takes a picture, uploads it. It alerts neighbours nearby um, who can, and those neighbours request and then pop around and collect whatever they fancy. Very simple. And it's been going... Just over three years. Over three years. You've mm-hmm. got lots of funding. We have. We have. We've, um, uh, we just raised our Series A a few months ago. Um, so we've been able to invest in the team. We're now a team of 18. Um, and it's a really exciting time. Now... Sasha, you're an interesting person, and along with many other people that I, I get to meet, very luckily, uh, people may have been able to tell from your accent that, that you're from America. Welcome. Uh, all the way, although you've probably been here for many, many years. I've been here 13 years, and I am dual citizen now, okay. but I haven't lost my my American accent. You That's certainly true. haven't. This is true. This is a, this is a statement of fact. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, your upbringing was kind of unusual, and I'm sure that people ask you about that Mm -hmm. tell me how being brought up by i think you call them hippie entrepreneurs Mm. tell me how that may have affected the way you think about the world so i did have quite a non-traditional um childhood um my parents sort of like to break all the rules you know i was born at home uh, i was never vaccinated they made up my surname um that kind of sort of stereotypical hippie um 
um, what you might think of. Um, but at the first half of my childhood, actually, my parents had started a business, a cooperative, selling wholesale herbs and spices. Her- herbs, I think you, you can say herbs. Here. I prefer yeah. herbs. It's herbs and funny. spices. Um, and But it took a long time before that business took off. And for the first sort of 12 years of my life, I grew up relatively poor. And mm-hmm. to make ends meet, my mom was very, very resourceful. Um, I have a lot of vivid memories of following her around town and collecting things that other people had thrown away. So there would be houses that were being torn down and we would take toilets and wooden beams and really anything. Um, and I can also remember going behind the local plant nursery and diving or going in the in the dumpster and pulling out the broken plants and we'd take them home and repot them and nurse them back to health and sort of sell them on. And so in this way, um, I hate to see anything of value go to waste and sort of rescuing things and giving them a second chance is just really ingrained in me. Uh, you ended up at the University of Chicago. So somewhere along the line, the, the unconventional became relatively conventional, if you don't mind me saying, because yes. that's a thing that young, smart people like you might want to do. Mm. How did it morph from that? In, and and I, what you just described mm. is very visual, very vivid for me. How did that morph into a, well, I'm actually going to get a good, good grades and I'm going to do my SATs and all that other stuff? My parents were, specifically my father was always very, very, paid a lot of attention to my education mm. and worked with me closely after school. I can remember... Every Friday night, he would give me some type of task that I had to do, often involving writing letters to CEOs of crisp manufacturers to complain that the crisps weren't crispy enough or some something ridiculous. But my sort of form of rebellion was to, um, because my childhood was so chaotic and financially insecure, mm. I was really seeking to build a very secure and stable career. So the idea of studying economics, and later I went on to work in banking and consulting, these are very conservative career choices. And an MBA at Stanford. And an MBA at Stanford. I've heard of both MBAs and Stanford. (laughs) I mean, this is a a serious and august institution. Well, my my idea was that... You really did rebel. uh, I I think my children need to be listening to this, because I want them to rebel exactly the same way. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to be employable, um, always. Um, And and it took me a long time to build that sort of what I might consider a relatively bulletproof CV. But without skipping too far ahead, you know, I always had an idea in the back of my mind that I would want to do my own business. As a kid, I personally started at least a dozen micro businesses. I had the hustle from a very young age, and I never really lost it. Once I was on maternity leave five, no, six years ago, I had the opportunity to opt for redundancy, which was such a blessing, because I'd been at American Express for six years at that point, and... Um, it's a great company, a great culture, um, and they were, you know, gave me a generous redundancy package. And I realized that if I really sort of cut my expenses back, then I had bought myself a f- couple of years of breathing space, and I could explore something else. Um, and it was at that point I haven't returned to the sort of traditional workforce sense. I've been doing my own thing since 2012. These 12 micro businesses you talked yeah. about, at what age did that begin? Oh, gosh, um, probably eight, nine. I used to, along with my brothers, collect all the tin cans, aluminum cans have a five cent rebate in America. So in the summer, and everyone drinks pop and beer all summer long, and go around the local lakes, um, the parks, collect hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cans every single day, take them to the grocery store, turn them in. I used to, I learned how to do fancy braiding in hair, and I would charge 25 cents a braid for cornrows, basically. I used to, we grew grapes in our backyard, and we'd make juice and lemonade, like grape lemonade, and sell those on to the neighbors. Basically Any, anything. Any Anything, anything. Anything. Yes. So you then, uh, you mentioned you, you worked for American Express. I think you were mm. VP for business development. You worked there till 2013. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So that moment where you get this package and then you realize there's this opportunity to do your own thing. Um, 
you'd already been friends with your now co-founder for mm. quite a while, I think since 2002 mm-hmm. or so. I think yeah. you guys have known each other over 10 years, even mm-hmm. by that stage, at that stage. You and her discussed this idea. Yes. Well, actually, Tessa and I started Oleo in 2015, um, and I had I did a different business before. Okay, what um, did you do before? I launched a business called My Crush in Crouch End, which is a pay-as-you-go childcare provider for people who need flexible childcare. So as an expat on maternity leave, I really suffered from not having family and not having access to sort of ad hoc childcare. And I realized I was going to the Virgin Gym every day for the maximum two hours. On the main high street. I know it well, yes. And and I I saw that there were a lot of other parents checking their children into the gym and then not necessarily working out, but maybe grabbing a cup of coffee, catching up on email. And I thought I couldn't be the only one that needed, you know, the occasional ad hoc flexible childcare. Um, So I took the manager from the Virgin Gym, got my own high street location and opened it up. Within nine months, it was self-managing and self-financing. It was profitable. And I got access to free childcare, which was absolutely critical for when I decided later to launch Olio with Tessa. And also, it provided a nice sort of um, passive income stream. So I'm very proud of that um, business. Originally, the plan was to sort of um, launch uh, my crash on every high street in London um, mm. where, they, where, where it might work. But I sort of became just less baby crazy. And also parents are very difficult, even though we were very much providing a valuable service to people who needed it because flexible childcare doesn't really exist in London. Um, there, Many parents find the process of choosing where to leave their children and, the, and, all, and just leaving their children a very stressful thing. And they're very vocal and, you know, I'm very proud of the service we provided and, but it's just a difficult customer set, parents, okay? Where they're going to leave their child for an hour is taken with this, you know, a decision taken with as much care and consideration mm. as what car to buy. Yeah, which you kind of understand. I mean, you're a parent, I'm a parent. I completely understand. But but you're right, you're like going, hold on a minute, this may not be the future of my life. It's so funny. First time parents is absolutely, you know, anxiety. Second time, you know, parents, the second kid, they're like, take my credit card and go. You know, just boom. So I sold my third and fourth child. It's worked out very well for me. I don't need to work anymore. Stay with me for much more um, from my guest, Sasha Celestial One. She's going to be back in a couple of minutes. But first, you heard it uh, in 2018 first. We've got the new sessions and it's a podcast which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Our host of that is the one and only Paddy O'Connell. And with the help of Mishkon Dorea, he explores the world of the gig economy, which is critical to our overall economy here in the UK and much more further afield. The News Sessions with Paddy O'Connell in partnership with Mishkon Dorea. It's business, but it's personal. Jazz FM. Hello, these are the news sessions. I'm Paddy O'Connell. Today we're talking about Uber drivers, bike couriers, food delivery people, plumbers and more. The same little app we use on our phone can be turned the other way to get us work. It's sometimes called the gig economy and it's all about the way we earn money in the modern age. There have been some blockbuster legal cases and here to discuss is Susanna Kintish. She represented one side in a case that hit the headlines and this has been her area of life as a lawyer for years. She's employment partner at Mishkonda Rea. Hello there, Susanna. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I mean, let's talk about work. It's, it, although it's so varied, we've got a million jobs in a million countries, is it really in the UK only three categories of employment? Is that the only way to see it? From the- yeah, that's right. You've got your three separate um, three separate categories and they all attract different rights. So you've got one end of the spectrum, employees, the other end of the spectrum, people who are genuinely self-employed and in the middle, this category of worker. 
Right. So let's talk about employment. What kind of things delineates an employee? Well, this is, this is the issue at the moment, is that essentially employee worker and self-employed have all become points on a spectrum, which is why the courts have really struggled to, to find very, very clearly which group of people fall into which category. Oh, so there aren't very, very defined boundaries between the three. But the boundaries have been slipping. Exactly. For all the reasons I was mentioning to do with the kind of gig economy, the app, the apps that make you get mini work and everything. Exactly. The world of work has changed yes. since the Employment Rights Act came in in 1996. You know, it was the year of the Spice Girls. Um, if you think about the way you worked way back then and the way people work today, it's very, very different. And the legislation, um, the courts have been trying to interpret the legislation to keep up with the changing world of work. The New Sessions podcast with Paddy O'Connell from Mishkondorea. Find more of the New Sessions podcasts dealing with key legal matters on iTunes. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. There are absolutely loads of ways for you to enjoy all our former jazz shapers all the way back to 2012 and now we're in the heady heights of 2019 and you can indeed hear this very programme again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can find many of the recent programmes or if you put Jazz Shapers into your iTunes podcast platform or any other podcast platform, you can find the full archive there. But right here, right now, is Sasha Celestial One. I just love your name and it is a made-up name, obviously, but that's cool. <laughs> it's your name now. She's the co-founder of... I didn't of make Ol- it up. You didn't make it up, no, obviously. Well, you would have been quite... I mean, you would have been a savant, some mm. kind of genius at yeah. the age of zero to yeah. have made that up. Anyway, <laughs> she's the co-founder, if you were listening earlier, I hope you were, of Olio, the food-sharing mobile app. So I started looking at this, as I do mm. for all my guests uh, and looked into it and I was like wow because I have for years berated my uh, wife about wasting food and Mm -hmm. I I hate like you I hate wasting anything it seems too good to be true Mm. in a way and the stats are I believe you've got over Mm 800,000 subscribers you have um, managed to successfully share 1.2 million plus portions of food whatever that might be there's a gap of 8 million people who are going without food, proper amount of food here in the UK, mm-hmm. 800 million globally, mm-hmm. and it's a valuable a business that's worth, or rather the, the value of food that's wasted, $1.2 trillion dollars. globally. I mean, an extraordinary, an amazing yeah. problem. It's a huge inefficiency. That Okay, so where do you start with all that, Sasha? How did you decide to do the thing you did? Because most people look at a, a global problem like mm-hmm. that, I mean, a huge problem, go... Yeah, I think I'll just talk about that at the next dinner party I go to. I'm not going to do anything. I mean, in addition to the sort of the fact that so many people are going hungry whilst Mm. we're wasting so much, which just feels wrong and immoral, if food waste were a country, it would also be the third largest contributor to climate change after the USA and China. So it is absolutely horrific for the environment. One thing that surprises many people is, for example, here in the UK, over half of all food waste takes place in our homes. The average UK family wastes nearly a quarter of their weekly grocery shop, and 70% of it is edible at the time it's thrown away. And it's hard to get your head around how a couple bananas that you let go brown and, you know, that two-thirds of the loaf of sourdough bread you didn't finish, how at scale it adds up to the bulk of the problem. But we have 27 million households here, um, and we all start wasting just a little bit. Mm. It's a lot. Um, so we decided specifically to tackle the, the household side of the problem. One, because that, you know we're individuals ourselves. It's easy to get your head around that. And two, I really believe in empowering people and people-powered change. I mean, it is overwhelming to think of nearly a billion people going 
you know, to bed hungry every every week. And in the climate crisis is um, very depressing if you really understand it. But it's very encouraging to think if I take one action today and then I take another action tomorrow and then I can persuade other people to do that, that lots of small actions can lead to transformational change. And most people would argue that's the only thing that ever really has. And so the idea of Olio is that, you know, in under a minute you can share any food that you're not going to eat um, with someone who'd be happy to eat it, maybe because they need it. Um, maybe just because they're nearby. Um, um, but the fun doesn't stop there. The fun actually starts when you meet that person on the doorstep. A lot of people don't want to meet their neighbors, and that's fine. And people come up with all kinds of ways to hide things outside and save spots. And sometimes I'm busy, and I do that too. But as a human, like every single sort of instinct I have that that I've evolved with as a human is going to be rewarded and feel rewarded when I hand something of nutritional value to someone who appreciates it. Right, that's good for for the species. We work as a tribe. We solve problems together. It's a really magical feeling to give something that would have gone to waste to someone who's going to appreciate. You feel like Santa Claus. Mm. Uh, it's very addictive. Um, so I, I I share a lot, um, and um, I I don't collect very often, though sometimes I do. Um, and it's just phenomenal how quickly food is requested. So, so basically, if you, if I am a giver, mm-hmm. I've logged on, I, I've credited a, a profile, mm-hmm. I can then literally take photos of the food, mm-hmm. I can say this is available to pick up, mm-hmm. and then anyone who's also um, a user mm-hmm. has, has registered, they can yeah. simply see, oh, that's available now, mm-hmm. it went on at 8.07pm, mm-hmm. and it's available until it's available. Do you then make a note when it's been, been picked up? Yep, yep, so that person would tap the request this button, mm. And they would have seen what time you said it was available. Mm-hmm. And, the, and you maybe you said between 8 and 9 p.m. tonight. They said, great, I can come around between 8 and 9 p.m. If it's still available, let me know. You reply, say, it's available. You press a button that's called Pick Up Arranged, mm-hmm. which unlists the listing from viewing. And at that point, you give your address. Um, your address is not disclosed beforehand. And then they pop around, they ring your bell, you go downstairs, you give them the food. Just like selling something on um, eBay or Gumtree. Yeah. And this is available across the whole country or are you still... It's available across the whole country. It's even available globally. We've seen food sharing take place successfully in 49 countries. And that's because we have a volunteer program. It's all volunteer driven. So anyone who wants to see a food sharing network take place in their community, we make it really easy. Um, we have a, a step-by-step playbook marketing materials. Here's how you sign up your neighbors. Here's how you get local businesses to donate food. Businesses also donate unsold food, which is redistributed through the platform. We have nearly 3,000 trained volunteers who um, collect from hundreds and hundreds of businesses each week, Pret, Co-op, Sainsbury's, um, Sourced Market, like um, lots of um, really high-quality, delicious food coming on the app that would have gotten thrown away, couldn't be given to charity. Charities can't take everything. And our view is if, you know, if it can't be sold, it can't be donated to charity, before it goes to landfill, it should be given to the local community. And we arrange for volunteers to do that. Um, I want to talk about the volunteers for a moment. So... I get this. I've now I've I've gone on the app. I've mm-hmm. registered. Someone comes along. I say you can get it from here. Da, da, da. The volunteer bit. Tell mm-hmm. me, there's a few. You've got advocates. I think you've got volunteers. Mm-hmm. What what are the derivations and what what do people do to make this thing work? Okay, just one step back from there. Um, there's two types of listings that come on to the app for food. Um, half of it is food from a domestic kitchen. That's me or you, right? I've overcatered for a party. I've baked a cake, but I'm not a glutton and I don't want to eat it all. I mean, there's a million reasons why you might want to share some food. The other half of the food is the food I was talking about earlier that's collected by volunteers. Mm. Those volunteers are trained on how to safely 
um, collect food and redistribute it. Um, they live near the shop. They bring it straight home. They add it to the app. Um, and then their neighbors come to their house and pick up the food. Um, it's still a neighbor-to-neighbor household doorstep exchange. But it's come via a restaurant but or something. But the food has come from often not a restaurant because they mm. tend to have plate waste and we're not in the business of no. redistributing plate waste. Um, tends to be a lot of food to go. Mm-hmm. Like we work with Leon and you know, salads and um, sandwiches and things that are good that day but aren't going to be good. They're going to be made fresh tomorrow. The volunteers then, we have two types of volunteers. We have ambassadors. Ambassadors are really, um, so everything on Olio is for free. Um, but it is effectively a marketplace, which is not a great word, but it is what it is. And we have supply, which is the food, and we have demand, which yeah. is people who are requesting So that's the, the food. market, even though it's not a market in it's the a market. Sense. It's a market, but everything's free. Mm. Um, and, and, and you want to match supply and demand. And so our ambassadors are the volunteers that are building demand. And that means that they're encouraging people to download the app in their community. And we have um, 27,000 or 26, something like that, ambassadors all around the world. And we give them a step-by-step um, sort of toolkit that they follow to, to, to build up the community of users in their neighborhood. Um, and we make that available in lots of different languages, et cetera, et cetera. The food waste heroes are the ones that we have about 3,000 trained, and they are helping with the supply side because they're collecting food that would have been thrown away at the local business level, and then they're bringing it home and sharing it on the app. Um, And what we have found is in new geographies, um, like London is a very mature geography. Anything you add in London, I mean, I guarantee you will be, if you request it in minutes, if not multiple times. There is such huge demand for food here in London. But a, a newer... Um, city where we haven't spent time, let's say, or we haven't had, a, you know, we don't really have a user base to get things kickstarted. Um, what the first thing we'll do is we'll find local businesses to donate food because it's a whole chicken and egg situation. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to you build up demand, but they open the app and there's nothing there. They're not going to stick around. So first you get the businesses to donate the food, and then you have that supply, and then you encourage people to download the app, and they open it, and they're like, oh, my Got gosh, it. there's... Okay, so that's the, that's the ecosystem there. Uh, the question is, that, that occurs to me is you said it's a market, mm-hmm. but it's obviously all for free. Mm-hmm. How do you guys make money? That's an excellent question. We get asked quite often. Um, we first became revenue-generating about a year ago, um, and we charge a fee for the service that we provide to the businesses that donate the food. Okay, so that's the that's the source. So if, if Mishkondorea happens to do this, then Mishkondorea gets charged some money and that's where your revenue is coming from. Yes, um, and it's, a, it's per volunteer collection. Um, that is um, the first way that we've become revenue generating. Um, we will experiment with um, a offering a premium version of the app sometime later next year, whereby we bundle some features for the users that are getting the most value, um, and it, they want access to those features, they'll need to pay for it or give back. So what we do have is a lot of people who are um, withdrawing, who are super users, who are um, really, really benefiting, but haven't yet volunteered or invited friends or, mm. um, um, or added anything to the app. Um, we have a non-food section for household consumables. Uh, if you think about shampoo and um, cleaning products and um, nappies that your kid's grown out of um, and, you know, you're never going to... You know, we have all kinds of stuff around our house that has value. Isn't appropriate to necessarily drop off a half a bottle of shampoo at the at the charity shop. You're not going to sell it, but you shouldn't throw it away just because you're a redhead instead of a blonde now, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, so... Um, 
you know, everyone has things that they can share. Everyone has ways that they can give back to the community. And on the money front, you're, mm. you don't strike me as someone who's driven by money, although mm. you did say very early on, I wanted to be employable and, and, and you know, create this bulletproof CV yes. and so on and so forth. Obviously, the money enables you, the, you need that money to then do all the great things. Mm-hmm. So the money has a purpose. Yes. Is that correct? Versus it being for its own sake. Tess and I did not start a free food sharing app to become billionaires. Mm. Um, We did it because we care about the environment, and it seems like such an obvious thing that the world needs to have. Um, And it's a win-win-win every which way you look at it. So so we're driven by the the problem that we're solving. That said, we're both the primary breadwinners in our family. We both have children. You know, we need to live. But we've received private investment because the problem is so big that for those businesses or organizations that can even unlock a fraction of the value of the food that's going to waste, there's a meaningful business opportunity there. And we're not focused on monetization really right now. We're focused on getting to scale. Stay with me for my final chat with Sasha. And plus, we're playing a track from Bill Lawrence. That's in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. That was Bill Lawrence with Swag Times. It was live at the Union Chapel. I love him. And he featured on the Kelly Hoppen Live 2016 or 17 Jazz Shapers that we did. You want to look back on that, some brilliant tracks that he played that night as well. Right here, right now, Sasha Celestial One is my business shaper. Just for a few more minutes, we've been talking about this enormous idea, which you've made granular and Mm. you've therefore got it off the ground and you've been funded and, and so on and so forth. Are you pleased that you did your MBA, that you did your degree, that you did your McKinsey, that you did your uh, work at uh, American Express Mm -hmm. and all these things so that you could pivot into this new world. Are you pleased that you did all those things? Did you need to do them all or could you have just gone and done this in the beginning? Um, That's an excellent question. Um, I think for for me and my personality and my own personal sort of risk profile that it was, um, I certainly have no regrets Um, And actually, it feels like everything's happened at the right time for the right reason. Being an entrepreneur, especially when you're a mother, you know, it's a scary thing to, you know, to thinking about worst case scenario if, um, you know, you don't get more funding or um, and something happens and you're sort of left in a in a precarious situation. Uh, So for me, it gives me great comfort to know that I could, you know, I could go get another job as a consultant or work in strategy or business development areas that I know very well and that I have a bit of expertise in. And at the same time, having founded a childcare business, you know, that having free childcare, childcare is very expensive in this city. Um, And having access to free and flexible childcare when I started Olio, you know, just feels like it all sort of happened for a reason, right? One thing led to another. So I am, I am very pleased. Yes. Do you think, and I think also now at the, the ripe young age of 42, um, you know, I don't think too much about sort of did I or did I not do the right thing. Like mm. it's a great time in my life to just be focused on the present. 
Oh, you're so American. I love that. <laughs> like you, you couldn't. If I said that, people would just look at me weirdly. But with you, they go, "Yeah, she's so right. She's so on the money." Um, if it hadn't have been this business, though, because this business is very special and it's got a big thing, it's got a big purpose yes. right in the core of it. Do you think you'd feel the same? I mean, is it is no. it again happenstance that you're here? It's, it, it feels no. it feels like it's meant to be this thing, right? Working on something where. You just every single day know that you're making people's lives better, that you have a team of 100% mission-obsessed employees who are completely devoted to the same mission that you are. Uh, My co-founder is fantastic. She's one of my best friends. Um, And and, and knowing that if we can get to scale, the potential for Olio is huge. We have a vision of a billion users using the app to redistribute our most precious resource food, you know, within the next five, seven, 10 years. And and we think this can happen. Our volunteers think this can happen. Our investors think this can happen. It just makes no sense that so much goes to waste when so many people are hungry and when we're destroying the planet in the process and not even managing to feed us all. Plus, we have two and a half billion people joining Earth by 2050. You know, that's in our lifetime. Um, And if you do the math, it's an unsustainable situation. And the beauty of Olio is it starts with a single loaf of bread, a single carton of milk, you know, a couple cupcakes, whatever, all of that at scale, redistributed and shared, not only obviously can help avert an environmental tragedy and feed people, but it brings us back together to sort of functioning as a tribe. And I don't know um, how much you know about this, but I think it's relatively common knowledge that we're not just facing an environmental crisis, we're facing a mental health crisis. Mm. People are more depressed, anxious and suicidal than ever all over the planet. And that's because we're lonely and we're not, you know, working together in, in, in a way that, um, you know, is making us feel good. And so Oleo strengthens communities um, as well. So yeah. I, the, the, the vision is huge and you can see the potential. So it's incredibly motivating. But the little, the stories every day that we get dozens and dozens of times, which say, I left the house for the first time in a week today because I suffer from anxiety and I, I had a positive experience with someone else and I feel, you know, Olio has changed my life mm. or I volunteered and now I have a sense of well-being and purpose or, you know, I ate today um, and yesterday I didn't because I was feeding my children and not myself. And all of those stories are just incredibly motivating. So I do feel really privileged and, and proud to be working on to be working at Olio. I think it's brilliant and I really hope it's a billion. I hope it's more than a billion because it's 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 proper stuff and i hope all of your listeners download the app and well, have a cupboard is, clear out this is what i'm asking you so if you want to get involved i don't normally do this but this is different to me if you want to get involved as an individual what mm-hmm. do you need to and, and you want to give what do you need to do you simply download the app or go to our website it's olio if you search olio food sharing it will okay. not be difficult as a business same thing as as a business absolutely on our website it says right there are you a business would you like to have your food collected by volunteers i mean everyone should have a zero waste office Mm. right? Um, there's no reason for good food to go to waste at the end of the lunch shift. We'll make sure we put the details as well. In Thank the, you so much. We always post on um We don't on, really have a marketing Twitter. budget, so That's I like okay. to get all the... Uh... You're here now. Yes. People listening, do the right thing. Thank you uh, so much. Just before I let you go, Sasha, it's been a real pleasure and an honour to meet you. Uh, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Oh, I believe my song choice is Let's Call the Whole Thing Off. Uh, I've found memories of my dad playing that song in the car. He had four or five, a track with four or five songs and that was one of them and he'd play it on repeat and it's a sing-along song things have come to a pretty pass our romance is growing flat 
was Ella Fitzgerald with Let's Call the Whole Thing Off, the song choice of my business shaper today, Sasha Celestial One, co-founder and CEO of Olio. I wanted to be employable, she said, about the way that she took her life in her own hands and got a great education. I had the hustle, she said, of her eight-year-old self as she started to build one of her 12-plus businesses. And most importantly for this business, right in front of us, this enormous problem of, of food and sharing food appropriately... She's all about the scale. Can I get to a billion users? Can I help a billion people actually be fed properly? All fantastic stuff. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.